0: Welcome to the second series of the Firefly Creatrix podcast. I'm so happy to be back. In the first series, I journeyed through themes connected to personal experiences on my creative path, which revealed wisdom that has been right under my nose all along. It's already unlocked another layer of freedom within my creative approach and expression. If you want, you can go back and listen if you haven't already. This series, delving deeper into this theme, I'm talking to incredible people that I've met in different areas of my life talking about their experiences of reclaiming their wild creativity. I'm so excited. Let's jump right in. So welcome to today's episode of the Firefly Creatrix podcast. Today, I'm here with Sarah Bauman, who is in the States, in the US. Um, And I've known Sarah for, I think I've known you since 2018-ish, or known about you. And then we, yeah, we wouldn't have met until later and connected to it later so we we're connected through our our work in nepal um and, and i'll get sarah to kind of elaborate on that a little bit um, but i just want to kind of reflect on a bio that i read about sarah earlier when i was kind of doing some research for this interview and for this conversation and so it says uh, sarah bowman is a global health mixed methods researcher with primary research interests in number one participatory arts-based and visual research methods. Um, which, yeah, anyone that knows me and follows me just knows that that is so like, just that kind of participatory, collaborative, like using creativity, using arts um, to, to kind of deeper, deepen our understanding of things, amazing. Number two, women's and adolescents reproductive health. I mean, yes, work in Nepal with menstrual health and awareness and just again, giving people autonomy. Hearing people's stories, amazing. And number three, mental health, which again, um, just such a huge topic and so important within the creative kind of conversation around how we navigate, you know, of, often that kind of sensitive side of us is the, is connected to our creative side. And I think that mental health piece comes in really strongly there. So welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much for being here and taking the time out of your day to speak to me and to share with everyone who's listening about you and uh, your creative journey. Um, and I'd love for you could just give us a little intro, a little insight into who you are.
1: Yes, first of all, thank you so much for having me. This is so special to be a part of this podcast and just these continued conversations around creativity It is like the best part of my day. So thank you for that. Um, I'm Sarah Bauman. I'm an assistant professor at the University of Pittsburgh School of Public Health. I work in the Department of Behavioral and Community Health Sciences, so essentially we do a lot of work in social science research at the intersection of kind of social determinants of health, public health, mental health, um, and looking at kind of broader structures in our lives that influence health outcomes. A lot of our work is mixed methods based and community engaged. Um, for me in particular, as you already uh, alluded to, kind of using participatory and arts based and creative tools are really important uh, in my work in particular. Um, in terms of my creative background and kind of what why I'm here today probably is really this um, kind of previous life that I lived um as a filmmaker and I still very much incorporate film in my life but I'm not my primary job is not a filmmaker anymore I'm I'm a a professor and researcher um, but filmmaking and storytelling and arts-based methods are at the core of that so we can talk a little bit more about that today but filmmaking is kind of my mode I'm also really into photography um but all kinds of creative tools um The one kind of creative thing that I'm not really good at is music. I'm not that good at music, but I appreciate it. Um, So, yeah, that's a little bit about me.
0: I love it. I love it. And can you tell us a bit more about the, I suppose, because we met connected to this, can you tell us a bit more about the collaborative filmmaking work in Nepal that you did and that you continue to do?
1: Yeah, I think that's actually a really great place to start because I do feel like that's kind of the origin story of kind of this Phase of my life that I'm in right now, work and creative wise. Um, so, collaborative filmmaking. Collaborative filmmaking is a participatory visual research method. Um, you can find more information about it at collaborativefilmmaking.com. So I won't go into like great detail, but essentially, it is a participatory tool that engages community members. Uh, people who are not necessarily trained in filmmaking or any kind of arts-based method, training them in filmmaking to tell their own stories. As researchers, this is really cool for us because it allows us to engage participants in the whole research process as partners, as collaborators, to tell stories in the way that they want them to be told. Mm. It's different from journalism. It's even different from documentary filmmaking that I've Done a lot because you're really handing the cameras, handing the scripts. Everything is in the hands of the participants, and they tell their stories, and they're really authentic and raw. Um, And then we use those stories to kind of better understand messy life experiences, complex life experiences, um, oftentimes around health in our case. And so um, I developed this method as a part of my PhD dissertation research um, at the University of Pittsburgh, but had kind of pilot tested this approach in Nepal um, around menstrual health with youth, which is where I came across Sophie's amazing work in this space. Um, and we got connected through another kind of gender and women's health researcher who's also really into visual methods. So, kind of, this community started to build around oh, yeah, we can bring in the arts, we can bring in research, we can bring in science, we can kind of pull all of these together to kind of better understand women's and girls' experiences in Nepal. Mm. so kind of my whole journey started um on this collaborative filmmaking journey it all started in Nepal uh back in 2016 2017 Mm -hmm. um we've since kind of gone on to do collaborative filmmaking projects all over the world which is amazing And we continue to kind of evolve and add to that process which I would love to talk about a little bit today our our current work Sophie um but that wanted to start there with kind of our the background of collaborative filmmaking.
0: Yeah. And I think that, I think that really shows this idea of celebrating everyone's creativity. And I think that's sort of why it felt so important to have you on this, this series of this podcast, because it's all about this rewilding process and understanding that we're all deeply creative, like essentially that is, that is our essence as humans is that we create things. And it's so easy to, in, in today's society to kind of lose that you know, within the kind of comparison world and and this whole kind of yeah social media where everything's got to be pristine and perfect, when actually a lot of as you said, a lot of what the films that you're now working with in the collaborative filmmaking world are very raw, very real, very very messy, and that's that's what makes them so unique and so beautiful. And so what you came out with with the Nepal work was there was two films in the end, wasn't weren't there?
1: Yeah. So we had. Well, gosh, we've actually had several. So the first project was with um, a group of adolescent girls in far West Nepal. They created um, kind of short little um, vignette films about their menstrual experiences and how they navigate that every month. Mm-hmm. Um, we turned that into a full documentary and shared those kind of raw authentic films in the community and and just coming back to your point about kind of the the authenticity there, right? people appreciated those films so much. They were not created by trained filmmakers. Um, These were really, you know, kind of quick, you know, in the moment, spontaneous stories. And there's something really beautiful about that. And I still remember um, when we were publishing this work in the scientific literature, one um, reviewer, I still remember they were asking me to speak to the aesthetic quality of the films. And it's something that I... Didn't really do a lot of kind of analysis on before. I was like, oh, I guess we can talk about aesthetics because the aesthetic quality actually was interesting. Aesthetically, I'm, you know, as a filmmaker, I'm very interested in aesthetics. As a creator, I'm very interested in that. But I had not even thought about it because I was so pulled into this idea of like aesthetics don't even matter here. What Mm -hmm. matters here is the journey, it's the story. Like, I hadn't even really thought about it, which was really interesting. Because I think the kind of authentic story was so much more important than like what it actually looked like in in kind of my subjective opinion. So that was really cool to kind of process that kind of distinction. And then, yeah, a follow on project through the Dignity Without Danger project. Um, We've been both both Sophie and I working with Sarah Parker um, to develop kind of follow on films with the mothers of the girls who created those original films and so we've had um a drama come out of that as well as a documentary film come out of that project
0: yeah and they're, they're so powerful i'll link them in the show notes under this podcast just if you want to have a look they're really powerful they are really raw they're really um and yeah directed by the women and that was just so empowering to watch um and i love what you share here and i think it's so important around this idea that w- when that is the centre, when the story is the centre, actually some of that creative like perfectionism just drops away naturally and that's been my experience too in that um, I think it's a great way that we're kind of breaking down the kind of hierarchical structure within these kind of projects, whether someone from the outside who's, whether that be you know in this context would be Nepal versus the States or the UK, Um, but it might be complete you know anything within our societies it might be whether you go go to a certain cafe but, you, but if if you go in and you you tell them how their cafe is it's like well no the person that goes to the cafe every day knows way better about that cafe than me as someone that's just been there for one time and it's the same the same concept with with Nepal with with all of these things that actually we we're, we're looking to
1: give the power to the participants Exactly. I mean, that's so well said and I think speaks to the fact that creativity is kind of this journey, but you're like, so right that we kind of get stuck in this hierarchical nature, right? Mm -hmm. Like, is it good enough? Is this art? Well, actually, if you create it and you envision it, it is art and everyone has access to that, right? But I don't think we're always told that from a societal perspective that everyone has access to this power of art. No, art is reserved for those people, for those visual people, for those creative people. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of times what I realize, especially working with lay community members and talking about the power of film, oftentimes they're like, I don't know if I did it right. I don't know if I I got it right. And I'm like, you 100% got it right. But it is hard to get out of that, that thinking. We're totally um, just accustomed to thinking that we're not we're not good enough when it comes to creativity. And I just, that's something that, I'm trying to, you know, overcome and try to encourage people to overcome. And, you know, I still struggle with it, too. But yeah, hierarchy is hard. That's super hard.
0: It's a journey, right? And I think that the power and it's interesting that we've both been drawn to this kind of decolonizing sort of work. Maybe it's because we're doing it within ourselves. And it's it's a lifelong practice, in my opinion. It's something that we'll probably be dealing with for the rest of our lives to kind of continually like break it down because it builds back up again. And then you're like, Oh yeah, I've got back into that habit of seeing this as being better or that being worse. And those kind of things. I wonder out of curiosity, whether you did have any, I say in inverted commas, like criticism about the way the films were produced. Like did, was anyone of the opinion, anyone who's still in that kind of perfectionist mindset being like, you should have produced it better or it should have been a a much better quality again, inverted commas quality.
1: (laughs) that's such a great question so I wasn't sure how people were gonna to react to that question um, of you know are these professional films or not how are people gonna to react to it um and surprisingly we did not people did not even care about the quality of the sound people didn't care that the camera was bumpy what people left with was oh my gosh I got to see into a world that I never would have even thought about I got to learn about her experience. That is so special. And I never really heard a lot of criticism about, you know, oh, that shot was too dark or too shaky, right? Which was, it's amazing that I think you already kind of alluded to this, that at the core, if it's an authentic story, everything else kind of falls away. Um, But just in terms of how I frame collaborative filmmaking now, um, not everyone knows kind of coming in what they're going to be seeing, right? If you're expecting to see something, you might be disappointed if you're not, you know, you're not walking into a Hollywood film here. And so I do like to preface it and set the stage, right? Like these films are authentic and raw and created by community filmmakers. And I think as long as people are kind of aware and in tune and like dial into that message, people look for the story versus, you know, the quality of the cinematography in this particular case which so now I do try to like kind of set up the films beforehand and I think um, yeah that's really helped a lot and people really know what they're getting into and they appreciate it so much which has been incredible
0: yeah that's so interesting isn't it because I can imagine if it were me I'd have those fears I know I'd have those fears that people were gonna you know question I guess again to be completely honest it would be question whether Questioning my ability, whether it whether my judgment was good enough. When actually, as you say, as as we're talking about the whole pre- whole premise, the whole point of this of this um, method and this way of working is to hand that power over. And I mean, I know with the women in the pool, they even worked on the editing process, right? With Sushma, they worked together and they did the editing rather than anyone else. So again, that's that's super powerful to give them that power to like edit the films and decide what get makes the cut, rather than handing all the film pieces over and someone else deciding what's good enough.
1: Yeah, totally. And even the music. So even the women in Nepal recorded their own songs. They wrote and recorded their own music for the film, which you know, when I first heard it, I was like, oh, you can hear a, a tractor going by in the background. Oh, you can and then as soon as I understood what the songs were about and started listening to the words I was like this is so powerful who even cares if there's a tractor in the background who even cares if there's someone talking it like the main message is there um but yeah I hear you in the this coming back to like always that self-doubt or am I good enough and I'm like Mm-hmm. have to remind myself, art is for everyone. Filmmaking is for everyone. This method is for everyone if you want to enjoy it. And so, um, I do feel like my role in these projects is really just to kind of continuously encourage, 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 and 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 push our participants to um find their own confidence. I think, yeah, I'm not a filmmaker in these projects. I kind of had to switch hats to, yes, sometimes producer to kind of pull all the pieces together. absolutely. but really, oftentimes I find that I, it's the encouragement that people need um they're always oftentimes doubting themselves am I gonna create something that's good enough and and that's that's always the hardest part I think of these projects
0: yeah so you you almost become like a reflector back to them like reflect their greatness back and that they've got a story to tell and just reminding people right that they've got they've got something so valuable that this research wouldn't be happening. The research projects that you work on wouldn't be happening if if they. Di- I mean, everyone has a story. Everyone has a valuable story, but obviously, the projects that you're working on are specific demographics, and they've got something powerful to share.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And I just feel so honored to like learn from and capture those stories in a way that kind of goes beyond, you know, just me as a, a scientist or a researcher. Um, one of the great things about kind of doing research and exploring in this way is that there is this final product that can be used to even reach people who didn't even think about these issues before. General Mm -hmm. public, policymakers, um, school administrators, right? So we're starting to think now into more of this like action-oriented piece, right? Like how can these films that we made in Nepal about menstruation, be put into schools as a resource to help um, women and girls understand what's happening in their bodies or that know that they're not alone in navigating certain traditions. And so it's really cool to see the films kind of take another, have kind of another life after the research pro- project. They kind of go and, and turn into these like advocacy tools um, or celebratory tools, right? Like we have some women now who are going on and making you know, their own TikTok videos now and, and had their own following. And it's really cool to see them kind of find their voice uh, after kind of working with them on our projects.
0: Yeah, that, I mean, I have such a big smile on my face. That gives me chills. It's that 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 idea of the advocacy. And I know that there were some politicians that watched these films in Nepal, right? And just that potential that it's, it's because of the creative aspect of, of it, it's it's almost bigger than the research it's bigger than that there's so much potential for the research to almost just be a kick-starting point where mm-hmm. conversations continue and they're almost like again I, I like to refer to them as kind of like creative way markers like they're way markers in the sand of like where we've been like this is where we were in 2020 like this is what we were dealing with and so then maybe in 10 15 20 30 years time you've got that to look back to and be like that that was a catalyst for this change and
1: this conversation and that's so powerful yeah i love that kind of historical element that you're talking about right it's almost like we have now like archives um to help tell the story and and see how we evolve as a culture as a community yeah. um i just I love that idea. And I will imagine that it will continuously um, evolve. And I think film, as you know, is kind of ubiquitous. It's all around us, especially with the rise of social media. Um, So, you know, we could even think about, you know, how do we harness um, the stories that are already out there and kind Mm -hmm. of study kind of patterns and understand experiences and health and culture in that way too. I mean, there's so many opportunities I think at our fingertips Um, and that actually kind of reminds me of another project that I think is quite related to this it doesn't have to do with filmmaking but it does have to do with Nepal um, and the arts and I was thinking about this because as you probably know Nepal experienced a mega earthquake in 2015 and there was obviously widespread destruction and loss and anxiety and and so many kind of negative effects of the earthquake. However, I was living there at the time, um, and I started to kind of maybe just notice because I had lived there before and after the earthquake, um, that there were forms of art kind of rising from the rubble on the walls, on the street sides. Um, you could hear it at night. You could hear people playing music, and I was like there's something really interesting just happening here in this community. I lived in kind of old Pata and like this Noir community, very close houses. So you can kind of see and hear the hustle and bustle. And even in all of this tragedy, people were still making stuff. And I was like, I was just blown away because I hadn't studied it yet from like a research perspective, but just anecdotally seeing people cling to the power of art. Um, So we actually did a follow-on study where we interviewed artists who created kind of these art forms in the aftermath of the earthquake. And we found that using art in this way helped them to cope. It helped them to rebuild community um, and it helped them to heal. And so that really kind of showed me that kind of art is all around us, whether it's social media, whether it's on a mural outside our house, but it's there for the enjoyment, for the taking, whatever you need it for. Um, I just, so yeah, I just really love this idea of kind of turning to public art as well um, and exploring what that means for decolonizing creativity, because this is like, it's public, it's out there. You're walking by it every day. And I really also love this idea of like taking art and making it public for the public, in the public, with the public. I love that too.
0: Yeah and it's telling a story isn't it like even even just seeing what organically comes out whether it's after a crisis of some kind or just generally day to day it's telling its story in in some way it's just you know taking some time or a particular lens to kind of deconstruct it and work out you know what might be influencing different things and and yeah find those connections I have so many things I could ask you um (laughs) I'm going to take a step back though. We'll so, be here all day. <laughs> yes, I know. I feel like we needed like full day Zoom. Um, did you know as a child that you wanted to be a researcher or did you think at the time as a child that you wanted to be a filmmaker or was it something completely different?
1: Oh, gosh. Yeah, I think as a child and maybe more kind of as at as in my adolescent years I was really into art. Like I knew I wanted to do something creative. I wasn't sure if it was going to be graphic design or photography um, or filmmaking. I wasn't sure. Um, but growing up in like a household that of creative people, my my parents are not artists by trade, but they are both very creative people and really good at their art form. And really just, I always saw them just using art in an enjoyable way to express themselves, to relieve stress. Um, just as a hobby, art was very important. And so um, I think just growing up in that environment, I knew I wanted to have art in my life. Um, But I didn't necessarily know what form it would take until I got to college. And, And even in college, I, you know, I was experimenting, I was studying science, but I was also taking ceramics classes, I was trying to always do both. And then you know, it wasn't actually until probably 15 years later that, or 12 years later, that I really formalized this partnership between research and film. It took me a long time to get there. I kind of bounced back and forth between working as a researcher and then saying, but I miss creativity, and then going back and working as a producer, and being like, but I miss the content of public health and like really promoting health. And so I would bounce back and forth until I found, now I feel so fortunate to have like Found, created, merged these two in kind of what I consider the perfect job of of yeah. beauty and science. Yeah,
0: yeah, I just love that. Even in hearing your childhood, like a snippet of your childhood story, seeing how both of those two things were so important, and how ultimately you've you've created, you've like manifested for yourself this job that that brings those two together in such a beautiful way. Um. And so, living with parents that were, like you say, artistic and, and creative naturally, did, do you feel like that was sort of a permission slip or, a, you know, like an encouragement to explore your own creativity?
1: I do. And I see it as such a critical space, right? Like, whether it's parents or whether it's friends or whether it's your community, wherever you are, I think it speaks to the power of like the environment in which you're in is going to shape you know, how you view yourself, how you view your own creativity, how you view your own art. My parents always were like, you're creative. You can do this. I was told that I could. And so I did. I think it was, I still struggle. Right. But I think it was a lot easier for me um, because I grew up in that environment. Whereas if I wasn't kind of in a space where I was allowed to like paint and then throw it away and make a mistake and try again and try again and try again, I probably would have just been like, I'm not a creative person. I'm just not. Like, it's just not for me, which is would have been such a shame, right? And so I think about that. I think about that with Leonardo, my son, right? And think about him and, and his journey. And I just want him to always have art as something that he is accessible to him and give him that space just because I came from that kind of environment and had that encouragement. It was, I think, a really drive, a huge driving force um, for my career.
0: Yeah. So, you do the same, yeah, you emulate some of that same energy for him to like allow him to create. I know I see on your stories and things, some of the things that he makes and like <laughs> just the mess. Oh
1: my gosh. <laughs> it's a beautiful mess. Yeah. Sophie, she's probably referring to the um, little painting he did yesterday, which is a hand and it's it's a cow. I, I don't even know. It's it's a hand and it's actually a cow. I don't even know how that works. Let your mind go crazy with that. But it's really cute. And yes, so and he loves that he has his own little art space at home where he can create and do things. And he recently got a little camera. So we've been, you know, teaching him how to use his digital camera. And it is just that to me, has been super fun, just because I, I love photography. And he is taking pictures, that of things that make him happy that represent what's happening in his life right now and it's really cool to see I think it's only going to you know develop into a a vision but we just try to give him the resources right that that can encourage him to make mistakes make something and maybe you don't like it or make it and do it again in a different way and experiment and I think all of that is what art offers us it doesn't have to be quote unquote perfect it just it's just art. It just is, and it it brings us so much happiness. So, all I can do is hope that he leans into his creativity as well. Hmm.
0: Yeah. Finds his own unique expression, and by all this, you know, experimentation and trial and error, and just being able to play that, it comes through, right? Yeah. Um. So you're really good at collaboration, um, and. <laughs> I feel like again I'm 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 sort of coming at it from a selfish point of view collaboration is something that actually I I I would say Nepal taught me about collaboration the most and and having learned it there I can see it here in my environment in the UK but I think it, I almost had to step out of my normal and see how a lot of the work that I was doing initially after the earthquake would not have happened without collaboration and how yes I could raise money but there was no there was no point in having a pot of money if there weren't like the people who were the experts on the ground Um, and the experts in most cases were the people living in the villages who actually knew the village and you know that is what we needed was that knowledge and yeah so a I want to celebrate that you're great at collaboration (laughs) and b I want to ask like do do you is that something that you've had to work on to kind of develop that ability to kind of call it in and to know that actually other people are, have expertise that you don't have or is it something that's part of your job naturally that you have to kind of include
1: oh my gosh well let's also take a moment to celebrate your collaboration because <laughs> gosh kumari's i mean adventures Oh, my gosh! That's just a, a perfect example of a collaborative project. So I think that's probably why, Sophie, we work so well together, and I think we value um, the ideas that both of us bring to a project just because, like we love working in that way. Um, but yeah, I mean, let's see collaboration. collaboration, I think, first of all, is like the reason why projects actually, um come to fruition. I mean, collaborate. I don't think I could do any of this. I know I couldn't do any of it on my own. Um, I don't think anything that we've accomplished we we could accomplish on our own. But collaboration's not always easy. I think um it's something that I've been trained in, my particular kind of department and program and the people that I'm working with, we're all collaborators, but I recognize like now that I am on kind of a a teaching side of things. Not all disciplines are that way. Um, there are some disciplines that are quite siloed, that are quite independent, um, that are that value kind of sole authorship on a particular project. And it's just so foreign to me because I think for the past uh, at least 10 years, I've been working in spaces that honor collaboration. Um, so I guess that's just to say that I think that I've, I've found that space and I've been encouraged in that space and learned it through mentors, through people around me, you know, like both of us work with um, Sarah Parker, an extremely collaborative researcher. Right. And I think I've learned a ton from her just in terms of like, if you have an idea, call all the people that you want to work with and bring them in. And it's going to be a thousand times better. And I think she's really showed me that. Um, Cause I'm kind of a, you know, I'm a, I can be like a quiet, you know, independent person. Like, I don't want to bother anyone, you know, but Sarah's taught me to be like, you want something go ask for it, you go get it. And you just have to put yourself out there. Right. And I appreciate that about her and about, you know, the projects that you do with so many different voices. It can be hard. I'm not saying it's, it's, it's easy. Right. I think it's something that obviously both of us value that we all value. Um, To make sure all the voices are heard, but that doesn't happen without conflict sometimes. So I guess I just, I I don't know if this is a space to go into all that detail, but I do think that it's not something that happens, you know, kind of overnight. It is a deliberate process, right? It is deliberately showing up and making that decision that like, I'm going to invite everyone in to negotiate how we're going to address this issue. And maybe one perfect example of that is a project that Sophie and I are working on right now, um, which is another collaborative filmmaking project called Visualizing Loss. And just in brief, that project is about exploring bereavement journeys and bereavement experiences among parents who have lost a child to a life-limiting illness. We're working with five families across Pennsylvania in the U.S. to tell their stories about how they navigated that journey of losing their child, navigated palliative care, and then kind of where they are now and using filmmaking to do that. And obviously, this project is so extremely powerful, so extremely unique, and so extremely, I mean, sensitive in a lot of different ways. And Sophie has helped us to kind of develop the graphics and the identity to represent this project And you can imagine that like working with five families that have five very different stories of loss and grief and navigation and trying to bring that together in one identity. I mean, it seems almost like an impossible task, but we've been able, I think we've been able to do it through collaboration, through kind of setting that tone, inviting people in, being open to change, and then making those deliberate choices to bring it in. I think, you can speak to this more, Sophie, but like, that's not how every design process is. I mean, it can be very hierarchical if you're designing a logo or a website, right? I mean, but this is like, we just try to break all of that down and say, you all are, you all are, you know, going to help us design this. And they, they did. And so I think just leaning into those kinds of opportunities, they're not always easy. They take more time as you can speak to Sophie. I don't know. I'd be curious to hear how it's been for you from like, artist perspective, from the designer's perspective, to have so many voices in in the room. Mm.
0: Yeah. So this is yeah, this is really interesting. This is such a brilliant project and such a great example of collaboration. And one of the reasons why I said that in the first place about that you're great at collabor- co- being collaborative is that you know you brought me in straight at the beginning of the project. It, you know before anything had really started, you knew that there was this space for design to really play a part and to celebrate. It, you know it could have just been a film um and it is a film that is predominantly what it is but it could have been a film that just had a very simple kind of um type introduction or something and go straight into the films but you knew that there was this opportunity to bring in a little bit more uh visual identity um and i think what's happened over time is that as you say we've created more of more opportunities for the participants to interact with that design process um and yeah really I think where it really showed to me that you that this kind of work of handing the mic I'm going to say handing the mic over to the participants is that it was the same for me as the designer and often often because people are spending money is one thing obviously if you're spending money on design work you it's it there's it's an investment and there's um there's often a fear there that you're not gonna get what you want. So people can be quite kind of, um, yeah, worried, I would say, and want to see things at every every stage so that they can potentially micromanage, but it's not it's not from that place of, of wanting to control. It's just a needing to know what is going on. Whereas with this process, it's been very kind of, um, once we chose the logo style, and I, I presented three different logos at the beginning, we chose the logo style. We definitely had some feedback at the beginning as to how that sh- that could be a bit, a bit softer. Some of the colours I'd used were a bit, a bit too kind of not harsh, but they were quite bright. And it, we felt like it needed to be a bit more soft and gentle because of the subject matter. Um, and then, yeah, and then the exciting bit really comes when participants got to have an input as to how the logo developed and it wasn't huge changes I think that was that was key was that it wasn't we weren't saying to them oh you can completely like redesign the logo but the logo as if you look on my Instagram and again I'll put links to it on um in the show notes the logo is, is fairly simple but it's kind of this maze like structure that holds different icons within it and so the participants got to choose what those were and they changed a couple and there's a rainbow and there's a cloud and there's a heart and there's a sunburst so it's kind of that the juxtaposition of all the all the different feelings within the grief journey um and the sort of vastness of the of the grief journey and then more interestingly recently has been as the process continued we so that was actually last february wasn't it that we did that bit
1: <laughs> i think where did the time go seriously yeah I guess the point is these things take time, yes, right?
0: and it, which you've already said, and I think that. But I think that's that's the other thing that that goes against our conditioning and and living within this kind of capitalist and and sort of consumerist society that wants everything right now. They want to press a button and it's done. And it go, what what you're doing and what we've done within this project is go against that and just be like, actually, grief, especially, is one of those things that has no. There's no time frame. There's no There's no sense. There's no logic. It just is what it is day to day. And so the people that you've been working with are obviously at different points in their journey. And like you said, sharing their stories in very raw and vulnerable ways. And so it has taken longer than we probably expected. <laughs> and I think it will be more valuable and rich because of that, because it's had that time and participants haven't felt rushed. People have felt valued. Um, And I think especially this last part where I have created an illustration that represents each film. uh, Which, again, I I just felt such freedom to be able to watch the film, read the transcript and then create something that just felt that I felt represented it. Um, That was great. And then the next part was that we handed it back to the participant and again asked them how they felt about it, whether it evoked the right feelings in them, whether it felt resonant, whether there was anything that they really wanted to change. And, and that was great because, again, there wasn't huge changes, but it just gave them that autonomy, that like reason to believe that they're an integral part, which they are. They are <laughs> the centre. Um, but you'd have to, as you said, you have to keep reflecting being that mirror back to people that they are so important um, within these kind of processes. So it has been so gorgeous and I cannot wait for it to be out there in the world. Um, but yeah, the process has been, yeah, that I've created then these five illustrations to go alongside the five films that kind of start to just emulate that kind of breaking down, not breaking down, breaking out of the kind of snapshot of the grief journey and that they, that these films are kind of, just opening that door a little bit more and just giving that, you know, slightly wider um access to what people have experienced, um, just so that this this conversation can continue. Again, it's I feel like it's such a um such connection to the Nepal conversation that we were having, where I feel like what could happen from this film is like endless. Like what this could open, do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's crazy because now that we're kind of nearing the end of the project, we are starting to think about kind of dissemination and sharing and what it means to different audiences. I think that is a key part of of every collaborative filmmaking process that we, again, work with the filmmakers to decide how the films are going to be shared. And that is a very critical part, right? Like whether it's, you know, I want to share it in my community with with my friends and family or I want this to reach policymakers in the Capitol and I want to make change. Like it, it's endless, right? What we can do, which is super cool. And so now we are um, talking to the participants and we ask them their feedback, like who are the people that need to see these films? Who would benefit? Who do you want to share these with? And we had so many great conversations with them about, you know, the importance of sharing this. I mean, in a lot of ways with other families who are navigating this process, who, absolutely feel alone because their child might be the only person in the country who has this particular genetic um, illness. And that can you imagine how isolating that must feel at least knowing that these other families are navigating, have navigated, are going through this with you is so critical, but also providers, care providers, nurses, social workers, all these people who are part of care teams, really getting a deeper sense of like the human aspect of what it means to navigate really, really difficult healthcare decisions um, is just, it's been incredible to get their feedback on that. Um, One of the families actually just reached out and asked if they could share the film potentially at their local theater, if they could rent out a small community theater to just bring people together to start some dialogue on these really hard topics. And I was just blown away that even after the project they're thinking about how they can continue to use the films in their communities which I think is just a beautiful illustration of the power of film and storytelling in in community
0: well and the power the power of giving the power back you know <laughs> That's- I love that. It it, it is a film and that's great that it's a film, but it could be it could be another art form. But it's more it's more about the the method, the fact that you're constantly, as we've just sort of explained throughout this two, three year process, you're constantly giving the power back to them and reminding them, reflecting them about them being the experts. And in one of the other studies that I work on in the UK, they call that they call those people the experts by experience. And at first it took me a minute to, like, get my head around that. But now I'm like, yes, of course. Like, it, again, it's my colonized mind that was like, hang on, but I isn't an expert? You know, someone that's got some kind of accolades and like letters after their name and have done 10,000 hours of whatever, you know, all of the things that we're told. But actually, we're all experts in our lives, (laughs) in what it means to be us and in what it means to be in our demographic. Um, So, yeah, by by giving them and and reminding ourselves when we're in 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 this work that they are the experts in in this example, in in the grief that you feel that they have felt having lost a child to a life limiting illness. Um, And the other beautiful thing that I will just add, because again, I want to (laughs) celebrate how you've had me involved and it's rare um, is that I've actually then got to film a little film for each of the participants to send my illustration back to them so that they get to see my face, they get to hear my voice, they get to know who it is that's interpreting their story because again, it's so easy to keep people blind to the to who else is involved and just have them control what they have access to, control like you know you potentially you could be like the one email contact that they have and then and then you you know you control whatever comes through. But actually, what's happened with this is that although we've not spoken like in a live context, they all know who I am. They all have seen my face. They all know my work, and they know that you know if they wake up in the in the morning and they're like, "Oh gosh, actually, I really need this and this on my illustration." That that there is the access point to do that until it's finished, and then <laughs> and it might be a bit harder. But we're still in the process right now where they could they could potentially do that and i love that it just makes it so personable and so um accessible it it just it's it, i just feel like it's breaking down so many unhealthy constructs
1: yes and i think i was actually just trying to pull up one of the email responses that i got from the participants i mean they are incredible but i just wanted to read one little bit because I think it speaks to how you know engaging the participants in this project is so special so she's writing and she says the timing of this message and illustration is impeccable I'm crying as I type this because I'm so moved and touched by Sophie's words and the illustration for my daughter it is just so beautiful she loved pink and so I love the color I love that she worked in heart clouds the chain rainbows Um, and intertwined peaks and uh, valleys it's all just so perfect and beautiful I love it so much Um, and then she goes on so it's just incredible to hear how just this this illustration is impacting the lives of these participants so much again Mm -hmm. art is is showing how it heals how it's a healing tool in the lives of these participants and we never I never anticipated to get such a reaction um to these illustrations um which seemed like it initially seemed like a critical part of the project but maybe smaller than the film I don't know now I'm like these illustrations are just as important as the films themselves and in our process so it's just I I never um stopped learning and being amazed by the power of art and all the different pieces um but yeah. I do love what you said Sophia it all comes back to that collaboration and giving the power um shifting the power um I love all of it I love it all
0: yeah I just it's just so it's such a kind of uh, heart thing I feel like it's such a it's such an important thing to be breaking down and just be one small part of this kind of breaking down of 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 old ways and you know knowing that the old ways have value and that we've learned a lot from them, but, you know, we get now in this generation, in this time, in this era to reimagine how things are and see how marginalized people are silenced and quieted and how can we like bring that, you know, bring that back around. And it takes, it takes exactly what this model is. It takes that constant, um, constant centering of, of people, rather than just like, Oh, just do it once at the beginning of the process and then that's done.
1: Yeah. And I have to say on kind of a maybe kind of a final note, but a really important note that, you know, as you know, Sophie, like working with different clients, working with different funders, it all sometimes influences how you have to work. Right. Talked about capitalism. You talk about this constant grind, toxic grind culture. And I'm just super thankful that we did have support from the McElhotton Foundation that really believed in giving us the time and space to navigate this in a really thoughtful way um you know every project has deadlines every you know we have deadlines for a good reason to kind of get things moving along but um as you mentioned grief is a really different kind of beast that has so many different pieces and i'm just so glad that um our partners, funders all really understood that really well um, and were able to kind of support us to really explore and 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 do this project in a way that was most meaningful to the participants themselves.
0: Yeah. I, I feel like we could have a whole another conversation another time and maybe we will about about funding and about like what, you know what diff yeah, what different kinds of funding come in to allow allow that flexibility because again I'm sure some people have very kind of like you must achieve this by this this such and such a date which may be for something like your approach which is more um is more malleable it might change over time and you don't quite know exactly what deadlines are I I love the idea of like looking for the right fit and being sure that the right fit funder you know we need to make sure that that as an initial foundation for the project is there so that it, it can grow in a way it's meant to grow rather than like in some confined box
1: absolutely 100% I mean that's that's the driving force behind it so having yeah. that a good collaboration with your funders is definitely critical that's I
0: mean I think that's something that people don't really understand when they think about academic research that it does have a funder and that that funder has a big say as to how the thing runs so yeah maybe that would be another conversation at some point I'm gonna we're gonna wrap up now but I've got one more little thing that I just want to sort of just bring in because I know you do a module that you teach called cannot heal which I did a little presentation for but I just wonder if that kind of concept of can well yeah I wonder but I'm you can tell us a little bit more is that because of the, you know, because of this work that you've done, you've seen the impact it's had on the participants and that inspired you to teach a module about it?
1: Yeah, I would say that that's pretty accurate in that kind of from all of this lived experience doing these works at the intersection of arts and health, um, we started to realize that there's actually a whole body, a whole discipline um and a whole community of researchers doing work in this space of arts and health and once I discovered that and I was able to kind of situate what I'm doing within the larger context within these larger um frameworks I mean even the WHO has an arts and health kind of framework and research um and center which is just so amazing to see I mean obviously um Arts and Health is is maybe in its early days but it's it's growing rapidly and it's incredible to see and so yeah a lot of a lot of what we've done is is take our research our lived experience and partner that with tons of other art forms that maybe we don't work in but bring in speakers to talk about bring in other artists and researchers we have um, a colleague at Pitt who does research on music and dementia. Um, we had you come in and talk about the power of illustration and in, in community messaging. Um, we had someone from the School of Engineering come in and talk about creativity and innovation and in engineering and why it's so important. And the list goes on. We had so many cool speakers. And so, yeah, the class was a really natural evolution. It was kind of like, we have so much to share why not develop a course and start to share all of this? Plus it allowed us to kind of dig into the science, um, even more. So mm-hmm. that's been really cool to just see how much research is out there on the power of, of music and painting and art space interventions on improving things like anxiety, improving things like, um, strength, gait, chronic pain, so many things. Um, We could talk about that forever, but I mean, it's really cool to see that there is so much evidence. And so we're just kind of trying to expose students to this whole field and hope that more and more students will go into exploring this intersection. Mm -hmm.
0: And students for that would have been from what kind of, what would they have been studying?
1: Yeah, so it's open to, it's an undergraduate course at the University of Pittsburgh, open to all students, but- yeah, so we actually did have students from um, really arts and sciences, um, all kinds of backgrounds, psychology, gender and women's studies. Um, uh, um, I don't think I'd
0: realize it was, it, was- that it was open to everyone. I thought it was like from a specific like sociology or, you know, that there's people that were studying a certain thing.
1: Yeah, it's actually it was a really diverse group, which I think made it even cooler because there were yeah, a lot yeah. of... I remember there was a bunch of bio students and uh biology students who were like, "Well, we're not really like we've never done anything like this." And like you could you could see the hesitation and I think it was obviously every single week showing up and creating that safe space to be like, "Yeah, you do biology and you are also really good at painting. Let's make this happen. Like let's explore. Let's be creative." And they did lean into it. I mean, it was really cool to see students who had never maybe even let themselves lean into their creative side, do that in this class. And so, um, it is in the school of public health, but it is open to all students. And it's been really cool to have such a diverse group in those conversations. Right. Because I think we all bring different experiences. If we were all from a sociology background, like we're kind of like preaching to the choir. So yeah. it's pretty cool to hear people come in who are really skeptical or other people who are like, I am an artist, and I'm here to show you why this is important to me. So we really had the whole gamut.
0: Oh, I love that. That's so that's, it makes it even more juicy.
1: Yeah, um, I'm excited to teach it again.
0: And I love that, you know, that thing of finding ways within the different kind of areas of your career and your work, that you you know, finding ways to bring to, to allow you to dig deeper. Um, I think that's such a key, isn't it? You know, we can get off track or like sidelined by other things that we have to do but actually um like you say when you when you know there's so much to uncover there are so many different avenues that you can go down and ways that you can bring it into your day-to-day life um such as designing a module which I imagine took a lot of work but it's worth it because you then get to delve deeper into it as part of that process so it's incredible
1: Exactly. No, it's a super fun course. We learn a lot, and and you know we'll cont- continuously bring in new speakers, different speakers. We're always meeting people who are using, art in really cool ways, and um, yeah, we're always looking for speakers. So if anyone's interested, yes. has something that they want to share about their own work or their own expertise, we're always looking for experts, um, to to speak even virtually. So, yes. please do.
0: Yeah. Amazing. On that note, Sarah, where can people find you? Um, what should they look for? I'll put it in the show notes as well. But
1: where can yeah. they? Yes. So we have on Instagram our research lab, the Global Women's Health Research Collective, Glow Her Collective has an Instagram account. We also have a collaborative filmmaking account. So follow both of those there. And then I think the best place to learn more about collaborative filmmaking is just at collaborativefilmmaking.com. You can watch films, you can read the papers, you can reach out. You can even find a handbook there if you want to implement your own collaborative filmmaking project. So please do check out the resources on the website and obviously email um, if you want to collaborate or talk or just explore we would be happy
0: again just the fact that your website like gives a handbook to people as to how they can recreate I mean again some people would be so precious about they've developed a a, a method and they want to protect it but when I found out that I think it was a couple of years ago that you could just download the handbook from your website I was like oh my gosh this just speaks volumes that that is just something that is available to anyone who comes across it and they want to just know download it take some time with it think about it and it may not be that they use filmmaking it's just that that you know that that kind of methodology is there and really simply and easily laid out I think it's incredible. So yeah check out check out the website it's great. And it will have our new um project on it quite soon won't it?
1: it's <laughs> wow. gonna yeah. help us design a beautiful page for that. So I'm yeah. just so thrilled. Yeah. Visualizing
0: just... loss will be on there at some time. Soon we'll announce it on on the social medias.
1: On oh, the social medias. I love it. Thank this is such a conversation. But... Oh, thank you. And thank you to everyone listening. And um, I hope this just encourages more connections um with Sophie, with me, with each other. Um, yeah, I I love it. I hope that the community continues to grow. So thank you so much, Sophie, for this opportunity.
0: Thank you. Honestly, these conversations are just so juicy and so kind of evolutionary revolutionary and um i just feel like growth inspiring so yeah thank you for being here and being part of it thank you for listening to our conversation today please do like and subscribe to the podcast to make sure you don't miss a future episode